Hello, and welcome to this first in a mini-series of podcasts that Form 3 are jointly running with UK Finance. During the next few podcasts, we're going to be exploring developments in the UK payments ecosystem with reference to global payments landscapes. We'll be looking at the introduction and relevance of new standards, the adoption and developments around real-time payments, and then finally, we're going to get under the bonnet and examine the latest understanding of the so-called new payments architecture, NPA. Okay, so before we dive in, let's start with some introductions. I say introductions as we are not only joined by Jana McIntosh from UK Finance, but also from the consultancy Beringa Partners, we are joined by Ben Matthews. Uh, thank you, Charles. Um, I'm Jana McIntosh, uh, Managing Director for Payments and Innovation at UK Finance. I uh, currently look after what is most of our payment systems policy work for the UK market, um, but with a very, very strong focus on innovation, which links back to standards um, quite a lot, which we will talk about. Um, previously worked with an industry and with regulators, but really pleased to be here today. Well, delighted to be here today. So I'm Ben Matthews. I'm a partner in our financial services practice at uh, Beringa Partners. Uh, I lead our commercial corporate transaction banking and payments business globally. And I think most relevant to this is I've been front and centre of numerous payments transformation related programmes over the past couple of years and throughout much of my career. I've also had the pleasure of chairing an ISO 222 working group over the past couple of years. So looking forward to the conversation today. Excellent. Uh, and finally, I'm Joss Wilbram and I work uh, for Form 3. I'm a programmer director in the enterprise team, which basically means I work with large organisations such as tier one banks and large payment processors, helping them to modernise their technology stacks. We see around the globe a swathe of announcements about payment system upgrades and the introduction of faster immediate payment services. And more often than not, we see reference to ISO 20022 in conjunction with such moves. So, for example, in Peru, the banks are moving to real time and ISO 20022. Globally, we see SWIFT have announced ambitious plans to support financial institutions, payments and securities businesses and make the SWIFT platform richer, smarter and faster. And in the UK, we see the same under the auspices of the Bank of England's real-time gross settlement upgrade and the new payments architecture. So before talking about the standards, it would be helpful to provide some context in particular around this new payments architecture and how standards are pertinent to that initiative. So currently we have uh, a number of different systems that enable the transfer of money. We've got faster payments, we've got BACs, we've got the image clearing system for checks. Um, and these are run by Pay.UK. Now, the new payments architecture is the future vision for this. It is what we want to build to enable us to unlock some of the innova innovation within the market, but also to help us address some of the kind of concerns and the issues that we face. Um, and that's where we will come on to hopefully some of the really good use cases that we will talk about uh, in a minute. But at the heart of these systems, you really have standards. And in particular, when it comes to the NPA, you've got ISO 20022. Um, and it's nothing more really than a system for defining and standardizing and grouping data. 
And even though it can be quite complex, um, it really is all about kind of like common data components that that allow us to kind of like achieve greater interoperability. And so you can think about it like a, like a common language. You know, if individuals as individuals we travel, if you travel to a different country, you kind of face a different language. And it's a little bit like what payments experience when they travel between different systems. If there's a common language and we all speak the same language, you don't need to translate stuff. You don't need someone to intervene to help you. You know, everything is faster. Communication is clear, which means that you've got a lot more time to kind of do all the fun stuff, which is innovate and kind of come up with new propositions. And that's really kind of like why it is that standards in this context is so hugely important. I mean, I guess it's in the context of the fact that, you know, the financial services market is more dynamic than ever, I think, at the moment with uh, organisations offering compelling customer propositions anchored on or certainly around invisible payments and that concept. And you see a raft of new strategic partnerships accelerating this innovation in the market. So it's an exciting time. Uh, however, I would say to date, the industry is very focused on complying with some of the regulatory dynamics around that innovative, vibrant market rather than the significant customer business opportunity there is. And that's where ISO comes in. Um, you know, for me, at the centre of these opportunities and some of the challenges lies data. And it's how this is interpreted into meaningful customer insight, um, used to simplify customer experience and also you know, ensure these seamless interactions. This is where ISO messaging uh, plays a, a key role. It's much more than just a payments opportunity. It's a much wider opportunity, a data opportunity, which the industry is, is really just starting to tap into. Um, ISO 2022 for me is the new language of payment messaging. Uh, it provides a richer array of customer data, enables us to share more data in packages of payment transactions. Um, I think it will dramatically enhance the richness of information with, uh, which customers want to communicate um, in transfer of data, but also moving funds and providing verification too around the globe. This is a big benefit of ISO for me, is that verification component too, which is sometimes forgotten. I mean, give you some context, you know, ISO will mean that payments can carry 10 times more data in a structured and consistent format. It will also aid potentially STP and enable greater automation uh, and recon reconciliation too, through things like the legal entity identifier. So there's a whole associated database with that which will ensure consistency in which information is shared and also authenticate users in that particular chain. But also, and I guess most excitingly, it provides that richer insight. And this for me is the key thing customers and clients are saying to us. You know, they don't necessarily say we want to understand more about ISO. What they do say is we want to understand our customers and clients better so as we can ensure we're servicing them in the best possible way with new propositions and capabilities. Framing it that way means you can have a really good conversation about the opportunity ISO presents. So for me, it's going from that comply aspect, which I think the industry has been on, that's the journey it's been on the past, past few years, into looking at the, the use cases and the exciting things that that data can now offer so as you can better service your, your clients. So, so the, the richer data that this new standard affords allows uh, organizations to get better insights about their customers and businesses, and therefore to, to ultimately provide a better service. I'm just wondering um, if we can talk about what those better services might be. I mean, what better use case in my mind is there at the moment um, than around fraud? 
I think fraud is kind of, you know, such a massive issue across the entire industry. And it's not just a financial services issue. You know, it touches every single life, um, you know, and all of us kind of engage in payments on a, on a daily basis. And so when we talk about kind of the, you know, the common messaging standard, a lot of it revolves around what Ben described there, which is kind of richer and enhanced data to help kind of like better understand your customers, have more informed information to help with decision making and ultimately ensure that you can serve your customers better. I mean, that is a fairly simple use case to understand and it achieves so much in terms of customer experience, customer protection, kind of value to kind of banks <clears throat> and the industry. I mean, the, the kind of benefits of being able to address such a significant concern within the market, you know, through standards, I mean, the benefits and the kind of use case around that for me is absolutely tremendous. Ben, do you have any particular favorite use cases? Well, yeah, loads, but I won't share them. Perhaps one. Think, yeah, yeah, one will do. Um, look, I'll tell you what, I mean, Beringa, we have, um, over the past sort of couple of years, done an awful lot of work in and around climate and the ESG agenda, culminating in our partnership with BlackRock earlier this year. So it's an area that um, has a huge amount of focus, is hugely relevant to all of our clients and all of us. So it would be fairly natural for me to use a sustainability related use case for ISO. So look, there's an increasing regulatory drive for banks to make climate related disclosures. I think we all know that. Um, the EBA has announced that the Bank of England's biennial exploratory scenario focused on the same thing, talking about climate risks, exposures and how banks and similar institutions need to report. Um, frankly, in a world where the carbon footprint of almost any product or service can be reasonably estimated, and the means of exchange for that good and service is almost always electronic in its nature. Um, sustainability metrics are going to be core into how you embed those into the payments message. So what I'm talking about there is you take the payments message, but also you combine that with the sustainability carbon related metrics too. And that's what ISO can enable. The payment data could then be aggregated um, using a unique transaction level climate reporting code or similar with exciting new metrics such as average CO2 per transaction, for example. Um, you could use this model across a whole range of different applications in and around climate and ESG. And again, a lot of clients we're working with are starting to come round to the fact that ISO is one of the key mechanisms in which they can do this. And by the way, the exciting thing there is this has an impact, of course, on retailers, on global corporates, you name it. And they're starting to understand that actually this new format can enable them also to, um, sat I guess, comply with their own ESG or climate obligations through one single messaging format. Instead of creating lots of different reports through different mediums, having to speak to lots of different institutions, ISO is potentially a way in which they can do that. I really it like sounds, that. It sounds so easy, doesn't it, as well? <laughs> it certainly does. <laughs> It's certainly not a small undertaking, but, it, but it's, it's got some real momentum in the market at the moment. That's, that's really interesting. I have to say, I've, I've never heard of that example, and I've heard quite a few. So, uh, yeah, it's good to know. I, I, I was just going to provide one example that uh, uh, I've come across, which I quite like, which is uh, specifically around what's called the structured creditor reference. Uh, bear with me for a second. But effectively, um, back in 2008, after the creation of SEPA, uh, the International Standards Organization created this new standard for creditor references. 
the structured creditor reference is effectively uh, a code that can be used for invoicing amongst other things uh, and thereby allow people to uh, increase their STP and their reconciliation. And it's actually been used in particular in Finland and wider Scandinavian countries uh, with really good success. Um, so they've been pushing e-invoicing heavily as part of their uh, promotion of uh, e-government and smart government with the aim of trying to automate flows around finance. And the results are, are really good. They've reduced costs and operational savings. Um, even in a small country like, like Finland, um, you know, the, the, the process of procurement can be quite onerous and costly, runs into the billions. And so the savings from this can be significant. It also enables ERP systems to obviously uh, automate items and identify them and associate them with the correct transaction and therefore automate reconciliation. That in turn reduces the number of mistakes. Fewer mistakes means the recipient process the payments quicker uh, and more correctly. Fewer inquiries result from that, of course. Uh, so there's less adjustments, uh, there's more reliable information um, and that allows companies uh, and organizations to control their company receivables better. Um, so ultimately, the adoption of a structured creditor reference can be uh, integral to better invoicing uh, in Finland and Scandinavia. They used it in association with other separate standards like direct debits and invoicing, and it's really facilitated better data exchange and more reliable money movement, which ultimate, ultimately translates into uh, better working capital management and liquidity. What's not to like about that? Yeah, exactly. That's what I love about standards is the use cases are endless. And I'm always, or should I say, I'm not even surprised anymore um, about kind of like some of these use cases and the benefits that come to light. Um, it, it's fantastic. And it's kind of under the bonnet. It's kind of part of the systems. And I think if you get it right, you can achieve so much. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. I think this is also how the conversation needs to be framed. So, for example, if we look at some of our, as I said, retail clients, you know, they're not necessarily going to ask about ISO, but they are going to ask about um, new innovative products and propositions, better ways to communicate, better ways to convey information in a easy to digest structured manner, which others recognize. And that's exactly where it comes in. I think sometimes some of the challenges are more that, you know, naturally we will look at the comply angle first and foremost, absolutely get that. But once you get past that, you start to open up to all these different use cases, ways in which something like ISO can actually be applied. I sort of touched on SEPA. So it kind of be remiss not to maybe talk about what is probably the largest example of an ISO implementation. Jana, I was going to ask you what kind of lessons we're able to draw from SEPA uh, and the application of standards in that context. No, absolutely. Can't, can't agree more. It's, uh, it is probably one of the examples where we can kind of learn a lot from kind of standards and the implementation of standards. Um, and it couldn't be more appropriate to kind of follow this conversation from Ben's comment around kind of compliance. I think for me, kind of one of the, one of the lessons from the implementation of standards in the SEPA context um, is around the compliance aspect and the fact that it was mandated. It made it so difficult it kind of like you know condensed kind of like what felt like 
purely a compliance exercise. Um, and I think that's where, you know, the whole conversation we just had was, was around what was the benefits, you know, what can we do with this? And I think, you know, there was there was a bit of an unfortunate kind of, you know, oh, we just need to get it done. We just need to comply with this, which kind of happened within SEPA, which lost a little bit of the sight in, uh, on, on those kind of outcomes and the benefits. But I mean, SEPA by, by no means was ultimately when we managed to get there, one of the best examples of kind of achieving uh, standardization across a plethora of standards across Europe. Um, and that kind of, you know, without a doubt, significantly kind of improved the ease and the speed of cross-border payments and, and, you know, the way that we kind of like conduct payments across Europe. So hugely, hugely successful from that point of view. Um, and I think SEPA Instant is going to be our next use case on this, which, you know, links back to the conversation, Joss, that we want to have about real-time payments. I guess one of the the, the lessons uh, learned from SEPA is the increased interoperability, uh, in particular around some of the uh, regional ACHs. I, I don't know whether you have a view on, on the sort of whether that would be replicated on a more global level. Uh, you mentioned real-time payment services and whether will it see greater connectivity. You can already see sort of nascent um, signs of that with proof of concept in certain countries. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the benefit of ISO. It's global. It's meant to be global. The ambition kind of starts with domestic and then kind of broadens quite quickly to regional like Europe. Um, but the, the, the ambition there is absolutely for cross-border payments across the world to be eased and the way that we kind of like ensure these systems can speak to each other, um, which ultimately kind of like speeds up the payment across the globe. So there's no doubt in my mind that that use case should be extended. And, and that's really where our focus is in developing new standards. You know, when you talk about interoperability, that's that's the end goal. That's the ambition here. That's what we're driving to achieve. I completely agree. I mean, SEPA, I, I ever so slightly break out in a cold sweat because I was right in the middle of that in 2000, 2008 doing the reach testing with all the um, partners in SEPA, so SEPA transfers, credit transfers, then direct debit, and it was a fairly bumpy ride. But I tell you what, the the positive outcome from it, absolutely, is it sort of built a degree of interoperability and collaboration that there just wouldn't have been unless something is mandated. And if I take the positives from that and the learnings from that, those are some of the lessons learned we can take into ISO. And coming back, you know, to some of the use cases, um, you know, if I look at some of those around request to pay and payment netting, for example, really clear application for ISO there. You look at things like closed loop interactions and how ISO can facilitate those exchanging the data in that closed loop environment, but again, to ultimately achieve a better customer outcome. Shall we talk about how organisations might prepare for the advent of ISO 2022 and, and some of the challenges, if, if we can? Um, so, uh, Jana, would you like to sort of talk with your UK finance hat on? Yes, happy to. I mean, it's it's quite simple when you think about, you know, these change programmes that we go through. Well, I say simple, but it is hugely complex. And I think that's the, that's the challenge here is, you know, massively, massively big change programmes that touches on not only the tech and the infrastructure and the architecture, the legacy systems um, and so forth, Josh, you inform three kind of like build a business model on the back of this. You know, there, there's kind of like a huge amount of change that you need to deal with, but you know, it's also around kind of the change on the customer experience and the customer propositions. It's changed to the risk profile. And as we kind of talked about before, liabilities and liquidity 
And so, you know, being able to kind of navigate that in a way that doesn't disrupt financial stability is the challenge. You know, we always talk about the fact that, you know, there shouldn't be a trade-off between financial stability and competition. And that is truly it in this space. You need to kind of achieve this change without kind of like having the disruption kind of being a bad experience for everyone involved. Um, And I think kind of like linked to that for me is, you know, if you if you put this change into numbers, it is kind of eye watering. I mean, it's 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 enormous what it is that we need to spend to kind of like, um, you know, affect these changes. And it comes back to these use cases. It comes back to really understanding the benefit. And it comes back to really making sure that the change is offset by the benefit and that we all kind of like have a very, very clear eye on what it is that we want to achieve. Because that way, you bring the whole community along with you. You don't have to compel people to do it. And people will see the value in making sure that these change programs are successful. So for me, kind of like in working with the industry, that's absolutely crucial when we talk about you know these these issues it's why are we doing it what are the benefits what benefits can we deliver to our customers then you know you put that in the context of a change program and it all of a sudden starts to make make sense so i think that that's the kind of elevated kind of like version of kind of the conversations that we we do have around the challenges um you know without kind of like stepping into the technical detail well if i take the working group for example so this working group is attended by Uh, a large swathe of the big global network banks, also some UK banks, um, some fintechs and similar. And recently we also we brought in, uh, again, some big retailers, big corporates into that conversation. And it's to do two things. One is to educate them in and around what the ISO opportunity is, why banks are investing it, why they're doing it. And second, to sort of bring to life for them what the opportunity is around that richer data set. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me around some of these regulatory or compliance related programs or even standards related programs, one of the lessons learned or things we tend to miss is that engagement aspect. So engaging early with the wider network, talking in simple, plain language about the opportunity it presents, not talking necessarily about the the technical nature of being compliant or the regulation, but talking about what it enables and what it really means for your customers and your business. And that's um, a sentiment that the working group has really taken on board. And, you know, again, been quite some quite optimistic statements today. And I don't want to be naive because the challenge is huge. The cost is huge. Yeah. And it's fun to back across everything from schema interaction all the way through to front end channels. It, it's a big transformation that um, needs to be um, undertaken here to really get the benefit from it. That said, you have a much better chance of, you know, doing that, serving your customers better, and therefore, essentially, uh, making revenue from it in the future through these good propositions, this new capability, because that is at at the centre what the financial institutions we work with need to think about now. So don't look at it as a compliance-related sunken cost. Look at it as a real business opportunity for you to engage and enable your customers to engage with you on new innovative propositions. Uh, and for me, that, that's a big lesson learned. And I'm optimistic that um, at least some of that has certainly landed in the uh, working group that I've been involved in. Great. OK. Um, well, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there then. Uh, Jana, uh, where can people find out more or get hold of you? <laughs> well, that should be relatively easy. We are splashed all over the place, but especially when it comes to standards, we are quite vocal. So 
um, do reach out at any point in time. You know, we, we do, as I say, want to continue the engagement on standards and we want kind of people to become part of the community. So, you know, at UK Finance, we're always happy to kind of welcome people up who are equally passionate about standards. Great. And Ben, where can people get hold of you? Yeah, just please do reach out. I mean, through our website, Beringa, make sure you spell it properly, you'll be able to find us. Get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. We're very active in the industry, work very closely with Yana over the past year or so. So um, we'd love to hear from you. Perfect. Great. Well, uh, I'll uh, see you digitally there. And uh, you can find out more uh, about me at uh, either at, uh, Form 3 or on my LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. In our next podcast in this series, we'll be covering off real-time and real-time payments, both uh, in the UK uh, and in a global context. Uh, and I'll be looking at that with Jana from UK Finance.